Hey guys, producer Ken here with a very quick message before the show begins. Uh, in 2013, uh, I started working on a podcast with two of my very best friends, Paul and Ben. That show's called Jews and Reviews, and it's on the Atlantic Transmission Network. In fact, it's safe to say it's probably one of the inspirations for creating it in the first place. Well, four years ago, uh, one of the best men I know, Paul Cohen, you may know him as Paul Corey, hosted Jews and Reviews, uh, was unexpectedly admitted to the hospital. Uh, it was from there that he learned that his illness was due to a loss of function in his kidneys. Uh, right now, he's on dialysis three days a week, and the doctors have told him, hey, Paul, you know, try to live a normal life, which is very rough to do, you know, being on dialysis three days a week. Well, it turns out Paul is in need of a kidney transplant. So if you or anyone you know may be interested in learning more about becoming a living donor, please call the Living Donor Team at New York Weill Cornell at 212-746-3922. That's the Living Donor Team at New York Weill Cornell at 212-746-3922. Another way you can help is just spreading the message by sharing these links and giving it the hashtag Team Paul. That's T-E-A-M-P-A-U-L, standard spelling on Paul. We're certainly doing all we can to help a good man get through this, and we hope you'll join us. Thank you. Enjoy the show. This is Evan. Welcome to Call Us Crazy. This is a uh, uh, podcast designed to normalize and destigmatize. And entertain and enlighten. And I have Tourette. I have OCD. And so that's why I guess we're qualified to do this. It's a that's- podcast. We're not trying we're, we're, we're not promising <laughs> anyone's gonna get fixed. And tone, I think that's what the tone of your voice was so perfect. Like, mm, it is a podcast. <laughs> Which means like, qualifications uh, <laughs> are just sort of ancillary. It's not FDA approved. <laughs> what was on uh, the old uh, Al Franken SNL sketch, uh, Stuart Smalley? He's a member of several 12-step programs, okay. but not a licensed therapist. Exactly. We're not accredited. <laughs> right, right. In, or board certified in any way. <laughs> yes. Please don't use this as um, any like sort of... Hug. Yeah, yeah. Do not use this oh, in place so... of a doctor's care. Right. Oh, that's good. You, you should do like a drop for us. Oh, you should be yeah. like... Anytime. <laughs> You'll be our, uh, our fine print. So welcome today. We have comedian Lindsay Goldwart. Hey Yay. there. Happy to be here. Thank you, Thanks Lindsay, for coming. for coming by and eating the cookies that I'm pushing on everybody. That's what I do. I just <laughs> bought them on a whim at Starbucks because I wanted coffee yeah. and I was like, this will be nice. And then I just turned into like my Slovak grandma. I'm like, eat the cookies. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Are I- you satisfied? Eat them. I'm the only. I'm one of the only comics that asks people before they do my show if they've eaten. I'm like, have you eaten? <laughs> don't go hungry. That's such a nice Jewish mother thing. I know. It's. Before. I don't know how far it's getting me in comedy, but the, <laughs> I think the comics appreciate it. Oh, of course, we appreciate <laughs> yeah. free anything. That's when that's I, I used to produce a show downtown, and I would. Yeah, that was like our. Which not that it really is a hook. Like using the term. <laughs> Calling it a hook is really using the term liberally, but we would always like have little snacks. I we'd either have like cupcakes or like little debbies or stuff like oh, at, yeah. at all the tables like for the audience. We give but away candy mm. and scratch off tickets. Oh, oh my gosh! Yes. Wait, pause, stop, time out. Yes, 
Do you run a show? So you run a show in Sunnyside. I do. I came to the show when uh, my life partner, my platonic comedy life partner, Ala Patel, did it. You know, you look familiar. I, I, rem- I, I'm like, I think I know that that's chick. That's so wow. funny. I think that's... So we did I, meet that night. We did meet. I was like, I know that. I, I wanted to be triple sure, but I was like, I know that. Your comedy is just a small I know that. You give out, yeah. Foxy Dame. I'm like, I know a show that gives out candy. Yeah, that's so funny. Tickets. That was a really great show. What Thank is you. it? Well, we I usually plug at the end. Sure. We used to have a weekly. Now it's a monthly. Okay. Uh, it is a, a stand-up comedy showcase. We try to feature at least one comic from the neighborhood, but uh, we bring the best stand-up comedy in New York City to Sunnyside Queens. Uh, it's a five-dollar donation. Uh, we give away uh, scratch-off tickets and dreams. Uh, you <laughs> you may win a small amount, but even that's unlikely. Um, but yeah, it's a great show. It's at Maggie Mays, a fantastic bar on Queens Boulevard, uh, forty-one fifteen Queens Boulevard, right off the seven train. It's was very conveniently located. Yeah. Yes, I very conveniently that. located. Um, and it's on January 27th. And you can find us on Facebook at Sunnyside Comedy. That's great. Very good. Yeah, it was a great show. Um, well, so basically, we Evan and I are still trying to hone our bedside manner and how to break into things. Uh, but that was a little mm. bit of, that was a good little conversation on top. Yeah. That, before that we all, just immediately a... like, tell us your life story. No, but sure. so basically, uh, Lindsay, you're here to chat uh, depression. Yes. But maybe just, well, give us a little bit. You're, we're kind of talking offline about just your general life history backstory. Like, sure. lay the foundation for us. Sure. Uh, so um, I, before I got really into comedy and wanting to write about comedy, I mean, be a comedy writer, sorry. Uh, I was a journalist uh, for about 12 years. I worked um, in women's magazines and I worked at uh, Core TV for a few years, which was great. Uh, and then, uh, which I have crazy stories about. And then um, sure. I got into breaking news. I worked at CBS. Um I worked a lot of overnight shifts. Very depressing. Oh, wow. Very depressing. That would be crazy. Um, and then I worked a lot of overnight shifts at uh, abcnews.com, which was interesting because it was during the 2008 election. So I got to sort of see how that all comes together. Uh, does not inspire confidence in any way, <laughs> shape, or form. And, uh, and then I worked at the New York Daily News, which was my favorite job. And I, um, I did some lifestyle editing and reporting, a little bit of health stuff. And now I'm a freelance writer. And uh, yeah, and I write for a bunch of different places. That's cool. great. And do oh my gosh. Fist bump for the freelance life. I'm trying. I mean, listen. We'll see how it could. Thank you, uh, Obamacare. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's brought to you by Obama. We, we just talked about insurance for like 25 minutes on the last show. That's an exaggeration, but felt like 25 minutes. Oh, I love talking about just... insurance. It's like my secret fetish <laughs> is talking about. Like, Let's go. We well, should start the sister well, podcast. Now. Sure. I mean, just because of its sort of hit or miss with the uh, psych- psychiatric and psychology sure. and stuff and what does and doesn't take it. And, the, the the sad part that you have to, you know, you might have a therapist and they stop taking it and you have to keep telling, like, telling your whole thing to so many different people so many different times. Oh, absolutely. Don't you wish bad. you could have, like, um, an intro to <laughs> right. you? Yes. Right. Just be like, here's the intro guide. <laughs> I used to not get along with my mother, and now it isn't. Then I do this. Um, I, I had a wonderful therapist who I, I loved, um, and then she stopped taking insurance um, after we'd been together for ten years, and it was like a it was like a real breakup. It was it, like I, yeah, I cried. I was I said, "How could you do this?" And the other and the other irony in that it, it it is kind of jarring because this is the person who's helping you get through your coping. With, you know, yeah. possibly separation and so forth. Yeah, and I didn't want to start again with someone new. Um, and then she ended up lowering her rate a little bit, but I could tell she wasn't so comfortable with it. Um, but now that I actually might start seeing someone again, I'm actually a little bit excited to see someone new because I'm not... The problems that were top of mind when I started seeing her 
they're not they're not as important now. So I don't want right. to keep bringing it back to my dad. Right, right. You know, it's sure, like, yeah. right, right, right. he and I are okay. It's now, right. now it's okay. That's at the top bottom of the pile. Right. Now it's a whole other thing. <laughs> so what type of things then would you like to talk with us about? Yeah, what, like, tell oh. us the history then of sure. dealing with depression. How did it first manifest itself? And... Absolutely. Uh, for me, you know, I grew up in a family of people who I think had a lot of mental illness issues but never talked about it. Okay. I know I'm from a Jewish family. Usually people are very open. I think that's a stereotype sure. too. <laughs> you know, any person or religion can be Depressed about right. things in the family. Um, I had a, a gra- I, I had grandparents who took antidepressants. Um, I, I have schizophrenia in my family, um, and I think that I. I think we, when, when you're a young person, you know, you, people think, oh, that's just your adolescence. Oh, that's just growing pains or you're just being sure. a teen. And, um, and I just started getting used to the idea all through high school and college that I would have, I'd have a good six months. I have an okay six months and then I have a really bad six months. And I just began organizing life around these, these A, B and C periods. Um, and when I had an on period, like an A period, um, I would lose a lot of weight. I would um, feel really great about myself. I wasn't bipolar, but it, that was a time where I had to get shit done. Am I allowed to swear? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. I would get I stuff hope done. So. I <laughs> um, Who makes the rules? But the, but knowing that once that six month, sometimes it could be less, would be over, I would be in for like a very long winter. Right, right. And it wasn't until I got into graduate school for journalism at NYU when I was 22, I had, I had my first terrible period where I was, I was going to drop out of graduate school. I wasn't able to leave my apartment. Um, I couldn't leave the apartment unless I imagined all these terrible things happening to me. Um, I, I, had to, I had to get rid of them almost one by one. Um, and through all of this, I had a boyfriend, this poor guy who deserves a medal. He once, he, he was so nice. He, he once left me in bed and said, I'm going to be back in like three days. And, uh, just please promise me you'll get up and you'll, do stuff and yeah. so I said sounds good he came back in three days I'm sure I had left to like use the bathroom and do stuff but I, I apparently I returned and I was in the same place in bed when oh. he came back oh my goodness. and he said I, and he sat to, he, this is not funny but it's funny he sat down next to me and he like put his hand on my arm and he said I think you'd feel so much better if you took a shower and I looked at him oh and I said, God. I think you'd feel better if I took a shower. <laughs> wow. Wow. And that's when we both knew that I, I was, I needed Something more than a boyfriend's up. care. I needed some right. real help. Very so, sweet of him, but yeah. yeah. Yes. No, but we both had, a, that, that's when you know that that's, and I knew right. that was a funny thing. At least I had, that was the last shred of my sense of humor. <laughs> so he, he, I put on like a coat over like my, my nightgown and, and literally, and I put on some shoes and I walked down to health services at NYU. And that's when I started officially getting seeking help seeking therapy and that was when I was 22 but I was very determined to not go on medication I just felt that it would it would inhibit me creatively I was trying to write, write a book at the time yeah. an adult book and I was just very proud you know for all the wrong reasons um now I see um so it took me a few years after that to finally to, so I, I the therapy helped I got better I had another six months six months six months and then I promised myself if I ever got really sick again I would I would go on medication and it happened again and um and I and I started seeing um, a psychiatrist as well in tandem with a therapist okay. and it was life altering. And I just, and the thing that helped me the most was I had a friend um, who walked me through it and made me feel like it was okay to be, you know, that, right. that was very helpful. And uh, I bought a copy of the essential guide to psychiatric drugs. You know, I'm a big reader. I had to actually <laughs> read, you know, and I was reading it and I'm like, this sounds like me. These people sound like me and they don't sound crazy. They just sound like me. Right. So, um, and it was, it, it changed my life to the point, and I just suddenly my, my point, and, and this is another thing that happened. I went to see a doctor, my family physician, and he was he was so insensitive that he ended up really helping me. Some people are such jerks. 
what and, happened? And I was went to see him and I was sobbing about how I was just unable to cope and I was just so I was having so much trouble. And he said, "Well, why don't you try one of the one of the drugs these reps keep drop, dropping off?" Pretty much. And I was like, "I don't know. I just don't want to be this, and I don't want to be the kind of person that takes a drug." Right. And he's like, "I don't know. You only go around once. Why be miserable?" And that's like <laughs> not the most. But he was right. <laughs> He was totally right. In a certain respect, but also, but like, I, you don't want to hear, like, well, the crazy. rep says this is oh, good. Like, okay. oh, you yeah. mean well, I have zero, I have zero faith in, in eight general. Eight years of training the reps went through, you know. But, and then I once had a, a different boyfriend once said to me, you know, he got so tired of me being unwell, he said, you know, I'm really, I'm your boyfriend. I'm not your therapist. I don't know how to help you. Oh, And wow. he was right. You can't expect people in your family who are not trained to help you with these major medical well, problems. Sure. And even, so sometimes it's, it, people have to get to a certain point where they get ready real with you yeah and yeah. someone is you should that's a, a beautiful thing and a, you just have to accept yeah. those moments it's the as, tough love as, as tough love as it is it's that still... was very effective tough love because because he and i are still friends to this day and i got real that's help great. he was a he, he was a terrible boyfriend how is he going to be a good therapist <laughs> you know? right, right. A great person <laughs> right. 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 and you don't want to feel that you're you're depending on them no, for that and it's, it's draining you, know. you don't want to drain your friends your friends are there to vent right. and to help and to comfort and console but they're not they can't solve your problem. Exactly. No. They can I, be there to listen to you vent, but they can't yes. ultimately. I always yeah. say, do you want to, so I'm venting. You don't have right. to yeah. give me any yes, answers. Yes, I do that too. No, yeah. but that's, that's such a huge difference in, totally. my, in my opinion. So yes, yeah, so I've been on different, a few different drugs over the course of, um, since I'm 25. I'm in my uh, late thirties now. And, uh, and I just, I have a, I always say I have a really, I'm really proud of myself and how I've, I've handled my depression, um, you know, I, I think it's really important to just accept it as if it's like diabetes. You know, you have a chemical imbalance. You just have yeah. to embrace it. Yeah. Um, just pay attention to when you're starting to feel bad. You know, don't give yourself some time to, to, to wallow. It's okay, you know. Yep. But then you got to snap out of it and do things to make yourself feel better. You know, like just if, I know the things I want to do and they're not great. You know, yeah. don't eat so much. You know, try to get out of the house. Try to go to the gym, you know. But be kind to yourself too. But don't let yourself get deeper and deeper into that snowbank. You know, you, you have to keep pushing. Right. Um, and you have to take responsibility for it. And know that it's not you. That there's a, and, and everyone, people are just sad. It's great to be sad. It means yeah. you're human. That has right. nothing to do with depression of at course. all. Well, and we were, we, we were talking about that earlier too, that there's people have a hard time separating, well, you know, I have a little bit of OCD or I have a little bit of this or a little bit, of, and just... You know, depression from being yeah. sad or right. well, you and, must get so yeah. annoyed. Like, oh my god, I'm like so OCD. Yeah, right, that right. must annoy you about. so much. It's like, yeah, right. And for people, and and the same, and where it's just like, can't you decide not to do these things? Like, I'm sure right. you've probably heard, like, can't you just be happy? You know. But think about right. how, think about how great everything is going for you. It's like I, I'm, yeah, right. I'm, which right. is so because it's like I know yeah. how things are good. I'm just unworthy and I don't deserve it. And every, you know, it's it's it just doesn't. It's gonna be like totally, oh, oh wait, yes, you're right. Oh, I, sh I, I never thought of that. Yeah, I never right. thought to just. I never thought stop to being just. Away. I never thought yeah. to just be happy. Well, I mean, and I I'm curious, and as much as you feel comfortable talking about, it, obviously, sure. but. You talked about that moment in your NYU dorm room with your boyfriend at the time, and that was kind of your aha moment of like, maybe I should really seek professional help. Yes. But before that, do there, I mean, what do you have little instances of your mind in your mind that you look back to that were like, okay, that was the beginning of 
feeling this way or, or that instance like at a life event I mean is there anything or do you feel like it's just been something that has always been a part of your brain chemistry I think it's always been a yeah. part of my brain chemistry I've always been a real thoughtful kid I think I'm a very happy person at heart and I think it has nothing to do with having depression yeah I always say I'm like the happiest black hole you know like <laughs> like a very dark sense of humor and a very bleak yeah, view of humanity but in my it. heart like I, I I believe in I, I love my friends I, I love comedy like I'm a happy person I love good news um, but I remember as a kid um, I have this memory this is a funny thing I was like in, in kindergarten or nursery school and I had to go into like um, so I got shampoo in my hair I guess there was some sort of we were doing something in school and I saw the first time I saw an empty swimming pool it's like a really scary thing to see in yeah. Yeah. But I remember it looking at it ominous. Yeah. yeah I remember looking at it and just and just thinking like that was the first moment of like extreme doom I ended up feeling that mm. like oh like the universe like there's like there's awful things in the world and like there's something that represented something very sometime the pool yeah. is empty. something like it. I think mm. I looked at it and it just I, I to this day it's just there's something I had very ominous thoughts I'm also from a family where people are you know just, we're kind of a dark sensibility family um, so I don't know. I always took things very seriously, very to heart. Yeah. I was very blue a lot. Like I hit puberty early. That definitely didn't yeah. help. Um, I think hitting puberty definitely kind of kicked off a lot of really bad feelings. But I was just told that it was just it was just my, you know, it was the 90s. I was just told, like, snap out of it. Just right. be like everybody else. You know, don't 90s. be depressed. Just do your homework. Keep moving. Right. Be, right. You know, get, do, right. do exercise. Be thin. Do all these things. Like, and stop being so angsty. Stop just being like... so angsty. The, well, the writing it's... of the poetry did help, though, I have to say. <laughs> the angsty poetry didn't hurt. But it's almost, it's almost worse than sometimes, I mean, or it could be, I mean, it depends the situation as bad. Uh, you know, we've talked to a lot of people who've just sort of, as kids, uh, didn't know and sort of covered it up. But to be told that you're, like, it's actually actively told that it's not something. Not oh. only not only are you just, you not know what it is, but you're being told that you well, don't, you're, there's nothing it, wrong. To, exactly. right. Yeah, because that's how people are. You know, my, you know, my family was like, like, like... <laughs> Who's happy? That should be my family crest. Who's happy? You know, just, you know, that's just my, to my, my dad, you know, who I, you know, I feel a bit weird talking about, but he just didn't, growing up in poverty, not poverty, sorry, growing up poor, you know, he felt like, no, I grew up on, you know, in a much better situation. He yeah. was like, what do I have to be depressed about? You right. know? So he was very upset and angry when I was young, when I would look very mopey and I was, like, I was buck sad. up. Pull yourself yeah, up like majorly buck up, yeah. kid, you know? Yeah. Um, and I felt, you know, you feel like you're a disappointment, you know, because yeah. you know, you see how other but people, it, you just have a lot of competition with other people's kids, you know? Sure. Um, and, and then you, it's like you amongst anyone, I'm, you're like probably screaming from the inside. I would love to be happy. Like you have the outside forces like yeah. telling you like, can't you just be happier? And you're like, I wish I could. But and the then same, you're just imploding. At the same time, you know, maybe it was also a 90s thing. You know, there was, you know, you could very easily fall into, you know, this hater mode, sarcastic hater mode, which is a very big cover up for depression too. You could be like, right. whatever, like yeah, everything just trendy. sucks sucks anyway. We all just want to be like Angela. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I just want to like find but our Jordan. That Carolano. was a very easy way to cover okay. up the fact that I was very I was I was having trouble. I wasn't you know, that was my cover up. It wasn't being cheerful and going home and sobbing. It was just it was wearing like an army jacket and like being you're, very, you're a hormonal, hormonal teen who's yeah, you know, writing the bad poetry and stuff. But really, there was right, a yeah, you know, it's funny in eighth grade. Um, I, I actually, um, I taught, I was feeling really unwell in eighth grade, and I talked to a school psychologist. 
And he turned around and told my parents everything I told him. That's <gasps> not okay. And my parents oh, wow. were so mad at me. Mad at me. They said oh we don't goodness. we don't air our dirty laundry. Da, da, da. And this and this oh. this he, this guy was like a famous horrific person. This this school psychiatrist. Oh wow. I wish That's him I, I wish him ill. He's probably dead now. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> but he did this to a lot of people. He caused a lot of young people a lot of problems. Wow. That's so that's yeah. That's really bad. It was bad. So I think that my and then in college I think I spoke to somebody and then my sessions were done and he's like well I'm, we're, I have nothing else to do. so it was very I never had any consistent mental health care and I also right. always felt very um, unworthy of that care it's like yeah. I, just, I would think trust issues too if you're just yeah. telling the first person you're telling who's I was just I just I've never I never had until I was able to take care of things myself and have my own health insurance which is very important I was I never I never felt that anyone was really there consistently. Um, but it wasn't until I accepted that I had depression and it was a real thing and yeah. I didn't have to feel bad about it. Um, that's when you take charge of something and you own it. You know, I never felt bad about it. You know, I mean, I did until I, I accepted it. Then right. everything got much better. You know, I, I don't have that. I don't have any shame about taking antidepressants. I don't have any shame about about seeing a therapist. I mean, I wish I was seeing one now, actually. So and, please, and please call thing. me if you, <laughs> you take my taking out of health insurance. seeking new clients. I'm seeking new clients. Um, well, why, when you said a minute ago that you, at before you kind of fully owned your depression, you said at times you felt unworthy of like a therapist's care, a doctor's care. Absolutely. Was, was it because sort of like the other voices in... Uh, Parental voices echoing your head, like, what do you have to be upset about? Yeah. Or where did it come stem from? I was just like, what do you have to be upset about? Yeah. And who cares about your problems? Also, why leave your apartment? You know, right, right. why shower? Um, just also, I ask myself why shower very often. Also, but... everything coming out of my mouth just seems so pointless. I think the key word with depression is how everything seems very pointless, you know, yes. and even the talking about it seems pointless. Um, depression is also very physical. People, you know, it's, as I say, you know, it's, it's normal to be sad. If you're not sad, you're, then you're something wrong with you're you. Delusional, yeah. But yeah, but if, if but depression is very physical, it's like, you know, I always say, look, my hair hurts, my teeth hurts, I can't leave the house. Like showering is painful, every, you know, just like, yes. like people look like, um, you know, Ralph Steadman, he's an illustrator. He does a lot, he did a lot of the Rolling Stone illustrations. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He does um, like the Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas right. um, yeah. um, font. Um, that's what people look like to you. They look like monsters, yeah. you know. It's very, I remember I once went grocery shopping and I used to go grocery shopping and I would, and everyone just, I would leave my stuff in the cart and I would just run because like I couldn't be out, you know? And it wasn't, it was so hard. I felt everyone knew. And it wasn't that people were laughing at me, but they knew there was something extremely yeah. wrong with me. And I wanted to like spare them being near me because I was yeah. this, I was like this gross, grotesque blot on society. I was this like, I was this black hole that was sucking out of all the goodness of the world. And then I used to feel when things were very bad that I felt that I was walking, that I was literally walking six feet underneath everybody else. Wow. Like I had these very, and because I'm a writer, I'm very, very visual about things. Right, right. And, or I feel like I was, maybe that, that weird glue we used to use in school. It was like, a, it was like called mucilage. It was, it was like weird, like tan colored glue. It was like in a rubby, oh, a oh, rubby yeah. bottle. And I used to feel like I was walking through that. You know, this, yeah. everything had to walk right. very slowly. That's it was so painful. Um, and being on antidepressants for the most part has, has helped me with all of that it's like let me get through my day if I, if I get home from work and I had a miserable day it's like I got to work like I did it totally. you know? no, and, this, and that's why it's I think it's it's important for people to embrace that look pills may not be for everyone but don't dismiss it just no. because yeah. don't dismiss therapy you know there I find far too often I work at my job I work with people from a lot of different cultures where it's it's just so frowned upon Absolutely. therapy or yeah. and you just don't bring it up as you were saying like no. what, has, what you had in your family and it's very detrimental because 
you might need therapy and you might need pills. Uh, I didn't, I was in therapy for the OCD and at some point when I just couldn't get myself to even go to work or, I, yeah. or sleep, I was like, you know, I got to open myself up to the pills and it helped immensely. Of course. I mean, you just have to say if I had, if, if you had diabetes, you wouldn't refuse the insulin. Like right. I could power it's through really this. Like, I could just not eat sugar. Yeah. Just, like, no, right. your body can't process the. I'm going to meditate on my pancreas. Right. I'm going to meditate on my insulin production. Yeah. I just feel like, and you know what, like. One of my good friends had um, had never been depressed a day in her life, and she um, developed horrific postpartum depression. And she called me, and she's like, "You're the only person I know that really talks about this kind of stuff." You know, yeah. I, is this how you felt? And I said, "Yeah, you sound like you're really having a hard time." And yeah. she, and she ended up taking Zoloft, and she it helped her. It was like a Brit. It helped her, and then she got off it in like eight months. And and, and I was just so happy that. It doesn't have to mean like Fuck you're you, Tom Cruise. No. Yeah, <laughs> it's not a brand on your forehead. Like you no. are crazy. And also, people are don't talk. People are not as open. I'm very open. Most people they take antidepressants or they go to therapy. They just don't talk about it. Right. So right. they're so they're like, oh, like she's so crazy, but they won't reveal. But it's all the it's stuff stigmatized for far too long, and I think it needs yeah. to be. I think if it starts to be. And kind of like what we're trying to do, not to say that we're heroes, but well, no, I, no, but I don't you know, throw like the word around. But I'm not going to dismiss it either. But it should, it it needs to be accepted because it's I people so take too. people take pills sometimes for the wrong reason. They do. But I agree. For, for the most part, people, you know, it's doing more good than it is doing right. harm. So it needs I mean, to. Be. I would trade my depression and people say oh like does it make you who you are it's like i guess so but when i'm not depressed i'm also who i am so yeah people who you throw around words like ocd and depressed i do get a little irritated because like i couldn't go to work i was just too depressed right like, really like, are you yeah. like maybe if like are you just bummed out because there's because yeah. being bummed out is real and i respect being right, bummed right. out. Right. right and you and and there's nothing wrong with being bummed out, but to me that is different than depression, you know. Of right. Um, and I validate your bummed outness. Uh, <laughs> right, right, right. But just wanting things to be in order on your like clean dust right, doesn't mean right. you're OCD. Could you give it a? I, I, exactly. I find that a little irritating. I want to be like, when did your knuckles bleed from too much hand washing? You know, exactly. Like, yeah, exactly. When were you unable to leave the house for like right. five days because you were afraid to like you know whatever? Right. Um, what, so yeah. What other maybe I guess going down that road. Um, stereotypes or misconceptions about depression do you want to dispel? Or what's the most, I guess, common misconception you encounter? Is it just the people who think, and, maybe, and you know, well-intentioned, but are just like, well, have you ever just tried to be happy? Or, you know, is it that? Or is it the people lumping depression in with the bummed outness? Like, what I, sort of... I think what's important is to just don't assume that you have to act sad and have to and be depressed. Like, oh, you don't have to be depressing to have depression yeah you know that's a good one you know um i think i'm a pretty you know i, I i'm a serious person but i'm i'm also i try to be very i, I it, one doesn't reflect that you don't have to be a downer to, right you know um I don't know. I think the idea that you can work through it all yourself, you know, I think that exercise will cure. I think there's lots of positive things you can do mm. to make it better for yourself. They're not a cure. It is true. Exercise will make you feel better. I, I, I found that it helped a little bit. Yeah, I think eating yeah. healthier does make, it doesn't cure it, but it won't hurt it. You know, sure. um, and it doesn't mean you just, you just have to, you have to take care of yourself. And I think that, um, I don't know if that's a stereotype though. Let me think. I have a stereotype. Okay. Cause, cause I'm also, it's like, Oh, if I take antidepressants, I won't be creative anymore. Oh, that's oh, yeah. the big one. Speak to that too. And how that's did big the, the medication affect you in that way? Or what was your experience it, it, personally? I, I can't really say I wrote a lot when I was depressed and not on medication. And I didn't write at all when I was depressed and on medication. <laughs> so I think it's just you can't blame depression on all the things you're not getting done in life yeah. is what I'm sure. saying. Yeah. Don't let it be a scapegoat for what you're not getting done. But however, I think depression 
you're not, it's not going to make you less productive. I found that you're exactly as funny and creative as you always were. And in fact, you'll be more likely to send something. You might write more when you're depressed because you're not leaving your apartment. (laughs) Um, But I found that I was less likely to submit something to a place because I was too afraid. Um, I was less likely to show it to people because I thought it was terrible. I was less likely to give it a, I would just edit and edit and edit. And I was being edited into nothingness because I would just, so you have to think, you know, okay, maybe you're writing a little bit more, but what are you doing with it? Yeah. Where's it going? Yeah. You know, it's not enough just to sit home with your laptop writing. Um, and also, I, the other stereotype, I think, is is that people, I don't know, I think people just self-medicate a lot. People talk about, you know, don't take, why are you taking antidepressants? We'll say, well, why do you drink so much? Why do you yeah. smoke right, pot every right. day? You know, just yeah. just think about how much, I'm the least judgmental person in the entire world, but just just think about why you're doing certain things and just and oh. what that is, what, what the purpose of that is. Well, and conversely, I think just, you know, stigmatizing and saying that, you know, depression, you know, not talking about it means that people who don't have, who don't know, are, are forced to not acknowledge it might turn to something self-medicating with yeah. the wrong kinds of things. So better to at least have people medicated with by professionals with actual things that are going to help and and you have to be an advocate for yourself you know if when you're i mean when you're depressed it's the worst time to have to advocate for yourself oh right i once saw my therapist uh i was trying to look for a psychiatrist when when i was at my most ill and when i was i think i was 24 um and i saw this woman who's on my health insurance she had the fan on in her office really loud, so she couldn't even hear me. She had a dog that kept jumping up on me and like biting the buttons on my jacket. I can't even <laughs> oh make this God. up. And I talked to her for 20 minutes. I was yelling over the air conditioning. And she said, you are a very sick person. And I, I think you have bipolar disorder. And I'm going to write you a prescription for lithium. <gasps> wow. And I just oh I, and I just knew that I should get a second opinion. I was going to say, did you see any certificates in her office? <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't sound she like this She had a very person. fancy office. <laughs> Um, but luckily oh because I'd done some reading and I took, I really took ownership. I said, I don't think this is right. So I'm going to yeah, talk to someone. I, I didn't just discount what she said. I did the fact that she had a dog in the office thing. was insane. <laughs> well, that's very unprofessional. But, uh, yes. And lithium's um, that's very a, hard. I mean, that's. Yeah. And I said to like, someone to make yeah, that snap diagnosis in 20 minutes, I think I should seek right. a second opinion. And I'm glad I did, but that's a whole other trip, a whole other appointment, a whole other oh, yeah. thing to do when you don't want to do anything. Right. What did the other doctor think about her diagnosis? I think he thought it was kind of it was kind of crazy. Yeah. I don't think it, I don't think that's where you start, and right. I don't think yeah. I was exhibiting the kind of bipolar behaviors that most people. Right. You know, I, I wasn't a compulsive. I, these are just things I'm not general. A lot of people right. do compulsive shopping, like a compulsive weight loss. You know, right. I wasn't. I, I I I was just. But you know, I had up times, but those up times were just me getting stuff done. Right. But compared right. to my lows, they seem. I guess to her, they seemed like they were bipolar, Major. but. But I, she was incorrect. I or she heard something different over the AC. It was like <laughs> kind of Maybe she heard when I heard being sad, she heard spend a lot. Yeah. I don't know. Or like sex a lot. Sex with strangers. I don't know. Well, with that being said, though, and we've talked about this in previous episodes, that a lot of times like one where there's one mental health issue that you're dealing with, there's often another. Yes. And, and have you experienced any other even things that have come and gone? You know, I, so fine. I'm so glad we're talking about this. Um I, I don't, I, I think that I've been diagnosed as having chronic depression. I guess I, I don't feel like I have as, as many anxiety issues as other people. I've also gotten older and I take care of things a lot better. Right. But I had a, a doctor that was giving me, I used to have terrible sleeping problems, just terrible, oh. terrible. And he put me, and, and he was giving me, uh, and he was giving me Ambien. And he was also giving me um, Clonopin for anxiety. And, um, and in the end, I, I don't think that those drugs were very, were so helpful to me. Yeah. Um, I think that um, Ambien in particular, I think I, I, 
I abused for sure, really? you know, because yeah, because all because in the end, if you want to block out reality, it's it's going to help you block out reality. And it yeah. was, um, I I think that I I think I there are there are other ways to help. I think I could have dealt with my anxiety without the clonopin, okay. and I and, and I see that now, and I'm really and I'm and there were other ways to, to deal with the insomnia than there were to right. take the. Ambient. So in that instance, it was just masking it more than being part. Yeah, of it. I think it was. There's some things that you know you do. You should try other things before you yeah. result to medication. Yeah. I felt like with the path toward antidepressants, I had tried a lot of other things, so it made sense. With the anxiety and, and the sleeplessness, they, I, I was sort of given pills, and it didn't help the problem. Anxiety you know, anything. and it depression me, and the pills thereof can be I, very different. Yeah. And I did crazy. Shit on Ambien. I did all the side effect things. I, like I, sleep eating? I, I sl- dude, I ate a whole loaf of bread. <gasps> I did sleep exfoliating. I would exfoliate my whole face. Oh my God. I did, I, I sleep waxed my bikini line. Oh my God. I sleep bought things on uh, Amazon. Oh things wow. would come to the house. Tim, my husband would be like, what is this? I bought very slutty shoes on <laughs> Right. On, um, on on uh, on Amazon, and and I would have to wear them at least once, so right. to prove to my sure. be like, no, I right. wanted them. I bought poster art. I bought the great. <laughs> I bought the Great American Songbook off PBS. I mean, I and I'm not, you know, saying I, I'm sure that. He's a very nice guy, but I'm just thinking, so you're buying slutty shoes and, mm. and waxing and stuff. And at what point is he just like, I should probably like, say something. No, because, oh my God, I hope he doesn't listen to this. But I was also having a lot of sleep sex. Okay. Oh my God. So I think he was like, on one hand, she's, she's losing it. On the other hand, there is the hot sleep sex. So I think he was like, Let's. So I've been having terrible sleep problems for the past couple of years, and I don't know if it's directly related to one thing or another. Or who knows? But um, but I've considered a handful of times, like I'm on the brink of like going to my doctor and being like, you know, can I be prescribed something? But that's my biggest fear. Well, I'm okay. so scared of if something. If you like that. take a sleep drug as directed, if you get in bed with like an Edith Wharton novel. <laughs> <laughs> And, and with a, you know, you will go to sleep and you take it for three nights in a row and, and it'll help. That's yeah. if you take as directed. Yeah. If you're not taking, if you're using it as a hypnotic to stay up late and act insane, then it will not help. Got so it. I think that Got Ambien it. is a short term drug. Got it. Um, that said, I, I found melatonin is nice. I found just reading on not a screen at night uh-huh. helps. I listen. I have, a, I have a few sleep podcasts I listen to. Oh, I've been. I actually just started that. My friend recommended that. Yeah, to me, I, like I listen to this podcast. great uh, mm-hmm. Bob. Uh, some great ones have a good, a good British accent will help. Right, right. <laughs> you know, more things. It was one about astronomy I listened to. Yeah. It's like I'm learning in my sleep. Yeah, yeah. Um, but all they, these things were just as helpful, if not more. And they tell you not to yeah. not to watch TV for a long time before you go it's to so sleep. Hard, but it's, it's hard not to. And being on your phone is the worst. And it's very hard to not be on your phone because I do the crossword in bed. Yeah. So, I'm sorry, right. Chelsea, but <laughs> yeah, uh, but it also different stages for different things. Yeah. I tried clonopin uh, in my mid twenties, and yeah. it had nothing to do with my OCD, and it, did, so it didn't help. It didn't do anything. Right. Yeah. And then um, I was going through a lot of stuff uh, back in 2011, family stuff, mm-hmm. personal stuff, and work stuff, and it actually helped a lot with that. But that was just that stage. Sure. And then it was like, I don't need that anymore. That's the best feeling is when you don't need to take a drug anymore. Right. And I think that's... I, I I don't know. You can't be a hero. It's good to have a doctor that like understands you, that you, you that sometimes that it doesn't try to be like, are you sure you need this? Are you sure you need right. this? Because I don't appreciate that either. Well, I was people just, are, are so likely to, to abuse things. They, they right. ruin it for the rest of us. Right. Well, I, and I was just <laughs> saying, because I, I see an LCSW who is very anti-pills and anti-medication. So I just stopped telling him that I take medication. That's oh my God. <laughs> I understand too. But, I understand but too. it's just because the kind of thing that... 
you know, I, I've, I feel that it's still working, but I don't, if I bring it up and all he's going to say is, you know, don't take it, then I'm just, we'll talk about all the other cognitive. It's just going to be a waste of time. Because let's, let's then if you talk to him, he's going to talk about the pills. This right. time you better be spent right, talking exactly. about your, your actual problems. And, and that's why, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't sound great apparently, but I just don't talk to, I don't bring up the pills anymore. So. I know, but that, that's like a bummer. You should be able to talk about the whole. <sighs> We're going to find you a new therapist. Well, it's again, and, I was, saying, and I was saying, it's also, it's, it's a, uh, it was a lesser of the evils thing because I had so many bad therapists and a lot of what I get from this guy is good. I just can't talk about the pills. And until I find somebody better, that's good. I had a Hopefully therapist. My first therapist had a very thick Long Island accent, and I found it very distracting. She said, she, she sort of talked like this. <laughs> she sounded kind of like the women in my neighborhood a little bit. And she would say to me, and then she's like, if you're going to, she said something about like, um, I think it was when I first tried, go, maybe ugh, it's all mixed up, it was so long ago. But she goes, if you're going to try taking antidepressants, it could lower your sex drive. So what you do is masturbate. <laughs> she goes, don't, don't think I about like it with sex, one. masturbate. She kept saying masturbate. And I was like, stop <laughs> saying masturbate. And was just like, I'm like, I can't. I can't. I can't. Uh, um, and what? yes, they can, it can affect sex drive. But yes. don't, don't be afraid out there to take them just because of that. Because no. it, you might not be having sex for whatever reason exactly. you're taking the pills for. That's exactly. a good point. That's, That's an excellent point. The Paxil point. has helped me immensely with getting past certain OCD things that, you know. I'm not going to get into specifics about it. Well, that's what I was going to say. I was trying to get in one of our past episodes. I was trying to get the guest to talk about because he has very extreme OCD. And, you know, like... Let's just say there are a lot more things I could do with, uh, you know, the the medication (laughs) that I wouldn't be probably into. Ladies. That's such a a great point, though, saying how you blame, you know, like, why is your sex drive low? You know, and my sex drive was really low for a few years. And I could blame it on the drugs, but it it was so much more than that. I hated my job. I, I was, you know, I've lost a little bit of weight recently. I was, I didn't like the way I looked. Yeah. Um, I had a lot of things that just, I, and I was, and I found the, the pill, the birth control pill wasn't doing me any favors either. <gasps> that was um, my, yeah. The birth control pill fucked so, me up big time. So when I went off the pill and I got an IUD put in, it's much lower hormone. Yeah. That, that was a miracle for me. Yeah. That was I've amazing. heard good things. Yes. yes. It's the greatest invention in my opinion. Yeah. So it's and I think it's true. I think that antidepressants may not do you any favors, but at the same time, you know, you can also make situations for yourself where you want to have sex. If you're, if, right. you're, if you're eating Chinese food and you know and you're full, you're not gonna whether you're on antidepressants or not, you're walking. Right. Gonna want to fuck. You know? <laughs> well, you're, well, the thing is, if you're if if you're depressed, not getting out of bed, and you're not and you don't want to interact with people or like with like I said with the OCD and the physical interaction with people and certain other things. You know, then it's 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 like a catch twenty two. If you're yeah. just gonna have these pills that you're just gonna they're not boner your, pills. Your, yeah, they're not <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Right? And yeah. and once you know, to me, like once it's in your system, you're not you know. Yeah. Then then you got to move past what it, all the negative stuff because if it's helping, it's helping. Yeah, I mean, and and you know, it's very funny. I once when I was having a very tough time. You know, my husband is a really great guy, and he didn't he never dealt with anybody who had depression before. And, and, and my advice is that you should, you should say never try to read someone's mind and never try to expect them to read your mind. 
Um, I always are very upfront with Tim when I'm starting to feel bad. I've actually never read the book, um, What to Do When Someone You Love Is Depressed, but I bought it for him. And I, sa- I said, I don't know. <laughs> I hear this again. I said, I don't know what to tell you, but maybe this person does. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. And he read it, and I never read it, but I think he found it really helpful. Um, so I think that it's, I think it's also your responsibility to be a good, uh, a good partner. And right. just because you're depressed doesn't give you a pass to be a, to be a dick. Um, I think it's really important. I don't think, you know, and, and I, I try to be really upfront with him. I'm like, wow, I, I'm really not feeling well. I'm going to, I'm going to lie down. I'm going to do this. I'm going to take a bath. And he's like, okay, cool. I'm like, I'm going to we'll check in tomorrow. You know, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know, I, I over, I might over inform, but I just want him to know that I'm on top of it. Right. There's not, he's not alone. Right. If something happens, he has numbers to call. It's not, he, he's not alone. And I think that's incredibly important to building a life with somebody right. is you, they're not, they're not your therapist, you know, and I mean, they need to be on board too, you know, but right. of course, give it like diabetes. It's not, just like yeah. diabetes. Like, like here's where my insulin is. Yeah. Right. You know? right. It should yeah. be Good just point. like that. Well, right. with that sort of in that same vein, um, I'm interested to know, you kind of even touched on it at the beginning of the show here. What were some of the things you read or heard that gave you that moment of, oh, other people feel that way too? Oh, or I, other, you know? I can absolutely tell you. Um, I was a, my, one of my first jobs was a fact checker at New York Magazine. It was many years ago. And a book came across my desk. I had to fact check a book review. And it was the book Unholy Ghost by Nell Casey. I highly recommend it. It was short stories. Sorry, it was, it was not short stories. It was um, short essays from writers about depression. Okay. And I read this book. I took it home with me. I read it from cover to cover. There was essays by William Styron. There was essays by Nell Casey herself, by her sister Maud Casey, um, Lauren Slater, who has written about um, taking antidepressants while pregnant, which is very interesting. And when I read this book, I said, these are amazing people who I admire. And I understand exactly how these people feel. Yeah. So that that book in itself was what was the first step into understanding, you know, what I had was was a real thing, and it wasn't just me being a whiner, complainer, yes. loser. It was right, like, no, oh, yes. therapy is great, but it, it very much helps to see people who know where you you read or hear, and you're like, okay, that's precisely yeah. the steps that I, I go through with my shit. Absolutely. And I'm a writer, and these people are writers. I trust a writer before I trust <laughs> anyone else. So if they right. feel that way, yeah, then I just felt like these people, these these people who I've never met, you know, they're, they're like they were like my friends out there, and they sure. were fighting yeah. the good fight, and and I really. And they had the same struggles about getting out of bed and, and looking at what they've written and just wanting to throw up and just feel like what was the point and feel like they were disappointing everybody. And I'm like, oh. And, and to me, I'm like, but these people are so successful. Sure. I don't understand. I've read their books. Why? And right. I'm like, oh, okay, because they have this. Yeah. And, so. then, and even just hearing anyone articulate things that are in your own brain that you haven't heard oh, people blew my mind. articulate before is just... It is super mind blowing. It yeah. really. I recommend that book wholeheartedly. It's called Unholy Ghost um, uh-huh. by uh, Nell Casey. Is the writer or editor of that book? Very how how did you get into comedy? Is, is that oh, related? Yeah. Or was that... Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, it was something I always wanted to do as a kid. Um, all my I used to have my. This is true. This sounds so sad, but my Barbies would do stand up comedy. I would. That's like, amazing. I know. That's and the then, greatest that's thing so I've fun. heard. And oh yeah, I had a lot of friends. And um, but um, there was an episode that was so cute of uh, of The Simpsons when um, Lisa. Um, um, there was like Malibu Stacy at the oh, improv yeah. and they were like, Ew. <laughs> so all my Malibu, all my Barbies were at the improv. And I know exactly yeah. what you're talking about. 
That's so great. I'm like, that That's was awesome. I'm such a Lisa. Um, <laughs> so I always wanted to do it. And then um, when I was in graduate school for journalism, we had to pick a beat, you know, and some people chose, you know, religion or they chose, you know, labor. Um, I chose live comedy. And what I did was I went to, I hung out at UCB and I, I, I interviewed some. I interviewed Todd Barry, you know, wow. whatever. Jealous. Was, well, he, he wasn't all that nice, <laughs> but uh, it's okay. I'm sure I was. I was just. A, I was just a, a flickering. Right. Um, but then I went did some open mics, and I went up thinking I would bomb, but I, I didn't. I did okay. I was yeah. 22. I was like super cute and 22. Or whatever. And and I don't tell yourself short. No, <laughs> I was fun, and I got on some shows. Like looking now, I got on some bar shows. I didn't realize what it was. Yeah. But once the semester was over, I I stopped doing it, yeah. and I always regretted it. And and. It, it started to eat at me that I hadn't kept going. And then I tried to write a young adult book and it didn't get published. I got an agent. The agent dropped me. I had a lot of, I had all these near misses in my twenties yeah. that were very depressing that I didn't look at as like, I didn't look at them the way I should have like, no, these were positive steps. Right, like right. Yes. you just had to keep going. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I didn't have any, I didn't look at them that way. I looked at it yeah. like just more failure. You know? hard, especially I think at that age, right? It's yeah. hard to frame things that way. Yeah. And, and I didn't I have a, a mentor the at the things. time to be like, keep going yeah. stupid. You know, I just, yeah. just assumed that it was just like, well, it's not meant to be. I'm just a big loser and that's the right. way it's going to be. So in my thirties, um, I had a moment when I realized I didn't want to have children um, my husband and I um, decided that um, we were on the fence and I was really agonizing. And I think I was pretty, bu- I was having some trouble working through what's wrong with me. I want to want them. I love children. Um, and then one day I woke up and I just said, you know, if I want, if I want them, I'm going to, I would know. Yeah. Right. I could have them anytime. Yep. They don't have to be mine. I could foster or yeah. adopt. I'm, I'm still, I can still have children. Absolutely. So I'm just going to stop beating myself up. So I told him, my husband, and he said, okay, because he was on the fence. And I said, well, if I'm not going to have, we're not going to have kids. I'm not going to sit around watching TV anymore. I'm going to go try to do, to do comedy. And he's, I'm going to go to an open mic. And he said, and he was like, okay, sounds good. And I think he thought, I feel very bad for him. I think he thought it was going to be a phase, but it's not a phase. And it's, it's changed the whole course of my life. Um, and I think depression and comedy, I think is very good for, for depressive people because first of all, it gets you out of the house. Yeah. Um, I think laughing is very good for you. I think, uh, I think being around people that are also suffer from the same kind of stuff but are also getting out of the house is good to be around those kind yeah. of people mm-hmm. um it's a catharsis almost. it's Absolutely. very cathartic it gives you some like day-to-day goals i mean like just the thing of yeah. like oh hey i'm gonna do shit today. okay i better do this like it gives you just like yeah, those it's, little it's, mini it's a, that's kind of where structure. this came from that we were we would talk yeah. about our stuff on at mics and we're like you know a lot of comics have some shit and they maybe, do you know it's <laughs> almost <laughs> like if you're a comic without shit then which is the working about? name for this podcast. <laughs> yeah. I mean, comics have some shit. shit. They do have some shit. And I think uh, comics who don't have it are super interesting, too. I don't think it's a Oh, pre- yeah, no, no. It, but it's funny. <laughs> no, uh, they're lame. Well, I still... <laughs> so this, this, um, a lot of lady journalists have been reaching out to me asking if, how to get into stand-up comedy. Oh, which wow. should tell you how bad the journalism is going <laughs> in general. I was a journalism major, and I, I, you grim. know, I... Uh, I wound up doing everything but journalism, well, just trying I, to get into. There's it. a lot of direct correlations between journalism and the comedy, and none of them good. <laughs> but um, but I was talking to this one woman, um, and she was talking. We were talking about, and I was talking about depression, and she was like, "Oh my god!" So I guess it's true. All comedians are depressed. And I was like, "Well, no, now we're not friends early. anymore, eh?" And you don't. It's not a prerequisite. You don't no, have no, to no. be a tortured no definitely. jerk or, no, or no. not a jerk. You know, you it's just it's just part of the baggage to get up and want to. You know, there's a comic I like a lot, uh, David Feldman. He's a friend of mine. And he, I don't know if he made this up or someone told this to him. It's a little bit of new age gobbledygook. But, you know, people say, you know, depression is rage turned inward. 
And I think it's, and it's, I've been chewing on that for a while. I'm not, is that, I'm not sure if that's exactly true, but it, it, something about it rings something true. Because there's so many comics who are so angry. Either they're, they're angry at themselves, angry at their at, at their, their terrible childhood, which sure. a lot of them are horrific. Oh, yeah. Um, and it makes you depressed when you don't have the tools to cope with it. And comedy is a great tool for, you know, comedy is can be therapeutic, but it can't be therapy. Right. Right. right it can't be the Absolutely. only thing. And that's... Right. Well, also, the audience isn't there to solve your problems either. Right, right. right. And don't look at a comic, another comic to solve your problems. They, they're the Although I swear, I, I did a show once where it was, uh, it was just all, an all-Jewish crowd. Mm-hmm. And, and after I went out to talk and was talking about my OCD, I got so many cards handed to me from the audience. Yeah. <laughs> so... They wanted to help, but I'm like, I'm already, I'm, I'm good. Fine. <laughs> I think though we just described like every, when you said the audience can solve your problems either, I flashed to like, you know, 90% of the open mics and like 85% of just like the angry white male comedians. Oh and like, you were like, yeah. that is what they think. They think the audience is there to like solve their problems or like empathize. Oh, listen. Or, or go up and be like, what, what's wrong with that bitch? Huh? <laughs> she was, you know, like, was like, like, he's exactly. crazier than me. Yeah. Or I'm crazier exactly. than them. Yeah. You know, it's like, you're all deranged. <laughs> right. <laughs> I also don't like, and this is me personally getting up. Um, I see comics just get up and they just sort of, they sort of treat it like like an AA meeting where they, they're just there to vent. Yes. It's like, you know, we are there to be right. funny. We're there yeah. to tell jokes. The jokes can come from a real place. There's been some of the funniest jokes I've, I've ever heard have been women talking about horrific things that have happened to them yeah. and dudes talking about horrible things, but because they've worked on it and they've made right. it into it's, comedic it's art. It's how you put it out there. And open mics are a good place to work it out. And if you get out there and you're like, this isn't a joke yet, but I'm working on it. I, res- I totally respect that's what they're for. But sometimes it's, it's a lot for people to sit through and for people to, I went to oh, sure. an open mic and everyone there got the memo. They were going to talk about their, their suicide attempts. And after a while I was just irritated at everybody. <laughs> and that's not the right response either. Right, right. I wasn't sad. I wasn't, I was I'm like, I'm like, really? All of you? Was, yeah, well, you, well, you don't want to have everybody, I guess, talking about the same thing. Yeah, it's like, that's my bit. <laughs> First off, yes. That's my bit, you bastard. Well, you know, there, there's, uh, you know, people talking about all their problems and it could be, you know, it, like having eight people go up and talk, oh, I just broke up with somebody, and it's like, all right, right yeah, all right. We well, but yeah, I don't know. I, I just think it's it's you shouldn't depress the audience as a comedian, right? Yeah. Right. Like no, some it, people it, who like there's people, a more clever. Yeah, it's like yeah. finding the clever way to. Speak it took the practice truth, where I had also. once with somebody where I'm like, yeah, this is like therapy, and she's like, yeah, you're really fucked up. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> I got to start rewording like, some of my like, material. Yeah, because I, yeah. I don't want people to ever leave feeling sad. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. the audience will go, oh, that's once in a while, that's, that's okay. Yeah. But I don't want people to be like, ooh, when I get yeah. off the stage, I want them to be like, oh, that, that chick's fucked up, but that, she's funny. You know, like, you're, you're crazy. Right, right. You can say you're crazy with a smile. That's okay. Because you want to be this mirror. You want to feel the light. You want to be the extreme like, mirror of, of, of the audience. What I was thinking, yeah. Right, but in a crazier way. In right. A way. But right. I, no one wants to, if, if you're getting up there and de- thinking you're being dark and depressing in a way that's hard, it's like you're you're not. And right. just keep keep working on it. And if you, right. you know, and it took Louis, and, and there's so much Louis worship, but it took him forever to turn all that darkness into something into funny. Yeah. But that's people a good think point. like that it's this has been going on like he's just been doing it like this for a long time. But if you look oh. at his old stuff, he wasn't oh, yeah. it wasn't dark. He had a very I mean it looked if you look at his old stuff, it looks very scripted, like, ha, huh, and then I do this, and then I do this. And it's like none of it was the dark stuff you're seeing now. Now it's It takes forever to, to turn darkness into something funny. It takes it, t- it takes right. forever. You know, that story I told at the beginning about the um 
about, um, I think you should shower, you know, I think you feel better if you shower, I think you feel better if I shower. Um, that wasn't funny. It took me 10 years to even, to even process that memory and now making, that's kind of a funny story now, but at the time, also my friends were like, you know, when you were going through that, it wasn't very funny. We were all very concerned about you. I'm like, oh, right. I forgot. I forgot. (laughs) Oh, oh, really? You guys don't? Really? It wasn't funny to you? I wasn't cleaning my apartment, opening my mail? Really? So basically what we're saying is any uh, comics out there doing the open mics right now that are listening, stop, go home, take 10 years, think about stuff. <laughs> Please. <Then> go- <laughs> oh, it's a real sidebar, really quick sidebar. I've never wanted kids either. And really? I saw, and that I think plays into even when we talk about, um, you know, whatever the idea of this podcast and just like destigmatizing stuff, I think it's incredible how in the year 2016 that almost, I mean, I, I I get more questions about when I tell people I don't want kids. I get more questions about that than I even do about like, oh, and I have Tread. Oh, and I'm a no. comedian. And yeah, like, and that the th- is the thing that's shocking. For to sure. People. And the thing is, like, okay, there's nothing wrong with wanting kids. There's nothing wrong without yeah, wanting absolutely. kids. And what bothers me is when people say, well, it's it's selfish to not uh, want kids. And I want to be like, I don't like want to be like, have mind. have you seen our world right now? It's almost kind of selfish to have kids. All the people I admire. <laughs> this is a really bad either, place. All the logic. writers I admire are. are Either did not have children or were terrible parents, <laughs> um, and, and I'm not—I don't admire that about them. But it, right. I think there's something to having. I just, and I've been again this very happy kind of up person, but I do have a very bleak view of humanity, and yeah. I just don't—I don't see how me having—I just don't have—I don't see it. Yeah. I know that's me personally. Yeah. Um, I think having, I think the depression is, is part of that. What informs that about me? My husband doesn't want kids either, and he's not depressed, so I can't say that depression makes right. me not want to have children. Right. Um, I don't know. I think that if, if you, it's just everyone is different. If you said to me, Lindsay, you have a choice. You could either have your own um, biological child, or you could um, help these uh, you know transgender teens study for yeah. their SATs. In a second, yeah. the answer is B. Yeah. Because right. they're already here. Yeah. And, and they need my help. And Make the I just, world a better place way. that already exists. I don't just don't. Bring I in have these like, fantastic nieces who I adore. Like I just feel like people want everything, and I'm very, I I don't. That's my. I'm very lucky that I I don't. I don't want everything in life. You yeah. can't have it all. You, you can't know. do comedy. Yeah. You can't have it. You can't. You can't. That's true. You can't, it's like, what are you saying? I have five kids. I can't do comedy. You can do whatever you no. want, but right. you're going to be very tired. Yes. And it's and it's a cliche yeah. right now, but I mean, it's just generations coming up who are expecting to have everything. And it's really just it's, and it's, not, it's you really have to hard. You just, you just can't. Live and with what you uh, have. and to think that you won't <laughs> regret, people will say, well, people say, don't, or don't you worry, you're going to regret it. That's what people have said to me. Oh yeah. And I say, of course there's going to be times in my life when I'm going to regret it. How could I ex- but I expect that there will be times when I regret it. I know a hundred people who have kids who regret, regret it. it. I know. <laughs> so I mean, there also be if I had kids, I'd regret. It. That's like ninety percent of my standup is about things people say to me yeah. when I tell them I know what's going like so shockingly offensive it's uh, mind-boggling but there's also times in my life when I'm going to be so happy and feel so free so you have to take the good with the bad I just don't understand why people don't think they're going to regret things it's like at least I know what I'm going to regret right right (laughs) or what did we say in the last episode they do people are dirty what was the tagline for the last episode oh just life is dirty life is dirty okay so it's not as relevant as I thought well I was trying to make because we were talking about how OCD but I think a a lot of things when you go to college are whether it might you know be depression or OCD or what something that you have that when you're in college because it's a new environment sure. and it's very it might inflame whatever it is you have sure. to uh, and yeah. because college is very dirty college OCD is dirty, is, is dirty. Is, it's and dirty. comics have some shit 
I feel like Lindsay, you already kind of answered like the wrap up question we already do. Yeah, comics have some shit. Um, I was thinking of that, by the way. That yes, your your question's been answered. She she already answered it, right? We usually we kind of like to wrap up with if you could wake up tomorrow and you know whatever you're dealing with would be gone. Is that something you would wish for, or is it almost just so interwoven into who you are? I think it's interwoven. It's, it's, it's a tough one. I gotta be honest with you because it's interwoven with who I am. And I talk right now. I'm I'm in a pretty okay place. I'm coming out. I actually had a f- rough few months, but I, I got out of it. So it's very easy for me to for me to say, I'm a go. You know, it's part of who I am, and I'm cool with it. But yeah. when you're in it, it is it's unbearable. And it's and, yeah. and why would anyone? So I guess I would if someone could wave a wand and I could just be the way I feel now. All the, you know, yeah. which is happy when I'm happy, sad when I I'm sad. But a kind of a basically bleak person yeah. who is happy. Like I would rather just be me. I would yeah. of course I would rather that because it's depression it sucks your life away it's it's it, but you have but you have but I take responsibility to manage my own care and yeah you know and I and so I it's just like having any other chronic disease you just gotta gotta yeah. live with it you gotta be strong and yeah and take care of yourself and go to bed for what do you want when you go to bed early and don't make it just just take care of yourself go to don't. bed do some midnight sleep waxing and live your goddamn oh my life God, don't take Ambien <laughs> and I, I don't, don't 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 just say no to Ambien and sleep waxing sleep ordering I was going to say, yeah. Thank you for being so what? honest yeah. today. Yeah. I mean, so well, uh, I love it. Yeah, plug, plug some yeah. things. Yes, we have a fantastic show. If you're in New York City, if you're in Queens, we have a great show um, at Maggie Mays in Sunnyside, Queens, off the 40th Street stop on the 7. Maggie Mays is 4115 Queens Boulevard. The show is at 8 p.m. January 27th. And this might come out in February, though. So what's the next? Or do you know? It's just once oh, a month. It's, it's once a month. It's always the last Wednesday of the month. Perfect. Yes. Perfect. And uh, yeah, and you can follow us on Twitter at Comedy Sunnyside. And, uh, and yeah, it's a great show and, uh, and Queens rules. Yay. Brooklyn all the way. Well, we're going to have a borough fight. Queens, Queens, We're going to have a knife fight after this. Yeah. Uh, Lindsay, Thanks so much for coming. You. Awesome. Yeah. I loved it. And thank you for eating my cookies. They were delicious. <laughs> In a non-sexual way. <laughs> it's just like, oh, I'm gonna eat cookies, <laughs> that baby. sounded dirty, but. <laughs> I'm going to snatch your cookies. <laughs> That's something you would do on Ambien maybe, but. You know. Oh, you ain't kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Hey guys, I'm Lissa Mandel. I'm Philip Cassell. And we're here from The, the Bitch, Bitch Seat, the podcast. It's an interview show where we talk to guests about the horrible and beautiful parts of their youth. We like to think of it as an adult talk show and tell. A grown-up show and tell. There you go. Like that. So for a teaser, here's some magnetic poetry that I wrote on my fridge when I was 12. Hit it, Phil. Dreams of whispered music felt snow white and lathered me in delirious symphonies. The ache within is black and bitter. A thousand frantic shadows scream and chant bitterly. I sleep on a lake of a thousand diamonds. You were 12? Yeah, I was way ahead of my time. Fair enough. Tune in. This has been an Atlantic Transmission production. Hey!